pretty good percentage of you perhaps received an email from me, I believe maybe Thursday or Friday, uh, notifying you uh, about a gift that was given to you from Green Pines. Uh, it was the Right Now Media uh, that was offered to you. That wasn't spam. That wasn't, uh, you know, no one hacked into my stuff or anything like that. That was a, a real thing uh, that uh, you got uh, from our church. And uh, encourage you to go to that site and look at it. Uh, this is a subscription that our church has paid for uh, and is made available to anyone that is on our uh, email distribution list. What does it provide for you? It's, it's called the Netflix uh, for Christians. Um, basically, uh, it is thousands of training discipleship videos that will be at your disposal anytime you want to view them. Um, they are uh, folks like Francis Chan, David Platt, uh, J.D. Greer, uh, Matt Chandler, there's a lot of the popular uh, ones that you hear nowadays, uh, that and many more if you're interested in learning about stewardship and finances, parenting, uh, work, how to work, uh, you name it, there's probably a video resource on it, and it's available to you uh, at a click of a button, it can be an app that you put on your, your iPad, your iPhone, um, for those of you who have children, it is a world of blessed silence. <laughs> All right, what do I mean by that? that there's a lot of videos uh, for children uh, from uh, the ones that uh, some of them may recognize. Uh, just as an example, we were driving home from Greensboro yesterday. Uh, we had four boys uh, there in the car with me, three, uh, three men, four boys, uh, and I think seven was the oldest. Um, and so, an uh, hour and a half of four boys together in a car can drive you to the edge. Um, fortunately, I remembered, hey, my phone has this Right Now Media app, and I was able to play, I don't know, about three or four videos worth, and it was a wonderful relief, uh, and also good for them. Just an example, uh, I just encourage you to take advantage of that. You'll be getting more emails reminding you of that. I want you to, to check that out. Uh, it is a gift that we like to provide. If you're thinking, well, Pastor, I'm, you know, I didn't get that email, well, are you on our email distribution list? Um, if you're not and you'd like to get that, just contact our church office. Go to greenpines.org. Uh, you can contact us that way and just say, I'd like to be put on the email distribution list, uh, and we'll send that email to you as well. It's often what comes is prayer request that happens every week throughout the week. There will be prayer requests that comes to us, and we'll let folks know about those requests as, as you're on that list. So i uh, love for you to take advantage of that. There will be trainings if you lead in a ministry. Uh, you can offer training through this online resource as well. So that's my commercial. Um, so if you will uh, go to the Word of God as we uh, consider God's Word together, we're in the book of Acts. We're getting to uh, the short rows of this book. It's been a while, um, as I promised it would be. Uh, but really, uh, as we get into uh, this passage, chapter 22 through 23, all of these kind of blend together as you see similar accounts that happen uh, as we get through chapter 26. We looked at this same uh, from really 22 through 27 last week and saw how God works in protecting uh, and how he 
promises certain blessings and some things he don't he doesn't promise Uh, and so we see this example in the apostle paul in the end of his life and so now we're going to look at it from paul's perspective as he goes through this and he is under scrutiny big time he is going under trial after trial after trial in fact we'll see at least three different encounters where he is before uh, human authorities and giving an account uh, to him of himself his life and so these are not friendly uh, eyes these are under eyes of scrutiny uh, looking for ways to silence Paul uh, and so how does he deal with this how does he handle this and what do we see God's working in this and so um, as we consider this there's a couple passages I just want to bring to your attention because for Paul's life this was a moment of his earth being moved uh, life as he knows it is about to radically change, is changing. Uh, there is no more missionary journeys that he can do on his own whim. There's, nowhere, there's no places he's able to go wherever he wants. Liberty as he's known it has been changed and will for the duration of his life at this point. There are certain times in your life when your earth moves. Uh, when world as you know it has been fundamentally changed. It could happen with a doctor's call. Uh, it could happen with a, a, a letter or message from your wife or from your husband. It could happen through an employer or once employer uh, that calls you into their office. There are certain things that happen in our life that causes our earth to shake. There have been a couple passages that I've gone to in my own life. Uh, in these moments, I remember a time where... Um, the doctor was recommending to me that I should have a colonoscopy. And as a 20, uh, 28, 27-year-old, I'm looking at, what? Isn't that for old people? And then I looked at what it involved, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, but then I saw all the reasons why, and then my earth began to shake a little bit. Uh, and fear started creeping in, and fear is a paralyzing thing. And it sometimes uh, surprises you at how it comes into your heart, and it will paralyze you. Um, And I remember just even then, the feelings and emotions I was having at just what could be. Um, And so, perhaps if I visited you in a hospital, I might have read to you one of these passages that I want to read to you now. I want you to consider with me Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. So just keep your finger there in Acts, where I, I promise we'll be there. But these are good, good passages to keep in mind when your earth moves. Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Literally, though the earth be removed, God is faithful still, a very present help in trouble. Another precious one is Psalm 37. Uh, Psalm 37, the whole chapter is really good. Uh, When you're in these moments, when people are against you, you're under scrutiny. Um, I'm just going to read to you a a few verses, verse 1 through 9. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. 
He will bring forth your righteousness as a light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. These are great passages, and I hope you mark them, you read them, you study them. When times of of peril come, when opposition comes, when scrutiny is there, these verses have meant the difference between fear and confidence. Uh, to get, stay home depressed or to get up and go, uh, to let these passages sink in. And I don't know this, but I think that some of these passages had to give comfort to Paul in the season that we find him in in, Psalm, in Acts 23 through verse 26. Um, because of the length of this, I'm not going to read uh, to you this passage, but keep your, your finger there. We're going to be skipping all throughout these passages, bringing out how Paul reacts in this time of scrutiny. Uh, So, just to remember the context, Paul came back to Jerusalem. He had a gift, an offering to give to the the Jews of of Judea. Uh, But as he's there, uh, the the apostles are saying, you know, Paul, brother, you know, you, you are not... Uh, someone that we're really looking forward to seeing right now because with you comes a lot of controversy. In fact, maybe to help deal with this controversy, why don't you go and take care of some of these vows and pay the sacrifice, uh, the price of these vows to these men, go into the temple and do so. And Paul says, okay. And as he does so, the Jews from Asia, where Paul has been, have followed him there, see him there, and see these people there, misalign Paul, misrepresent Paul. And so, a, a turmoil, a riot breaks out, and Paul essentially gets beat, drugged out of the temple. The gates shut behind him, and there's such a turmoil that the Roman leader, the military leader, a man named Lysus, comes in and rescues Paul and says, man, you must be some kind of terrorist. And Paul is saying, no, I'm really not. I'm from Tarsus. I'm a Roman citizen. Uh, but at this point, he's already beat up badly. Uh, and it prevents them from getting further flogging. Uh, and so the, the Roman leader says, oh my goodness, what have I done? This is a Roman citizen, and takes him to Felix, all right? Felix is the governor. You see this in Acts chapter 23, verse 23. Felix is the one that took the place of Pontius Pilate. You remember him, right? Uh, and, and the crucifixion. Pilate's no more. Felix is the man now. He's kind of like the, the mayor, the, the local governor here of the area. And so he is before Felix and presents his case, uh, not in Jerusalem, but to Caesarea, because Paul gets wind through a nephew that there's a plot of 40 men that says, I will not eat or drink until I kill Paul. And they set up this ambush. Uh, So Felix hears about this, not keen on having uh, this vigilante uh, rule. And so he sends with Paul essentially 200 bodyguards, spearmen, horsemen, two satyrians, as they go from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And so he is protected at the, the, the bill of the Roman government. Uh, and so there in Caesarea, he is before Felix. Now, 
Uh, I want us to, to look at a couple of things as we keep on going. Uh, notice chapter 23, verse 1. And notice what Paul says as he's before this council, Felix and these Jewish accusers, the Jewish religious leaders. Looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I've lived my life before God and all good conscience up to this day. All right, and this is something he's going to repeat, in fact, in chapter 24, verse 16. You see this, again, he's before Felix, and he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. How Paul responds before Felix brings us a, a, some, something to learn about what we're to do when we're under scrutiny, uh, when we're under opposition. Paul is noticing that he is living before God. Notice what he says, that I have a good conscience up to this day as I live my life before God. All right, You see this in 24 verse 16, something similar. So always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. When we're under scrutiny, Paul brings this thought up that I am living before God. Okay, And so I have a clear conscience before God. And so when we're under close scrutiny, when we're in the hot seat, it is important for us to remember that we live before God. Therefore, there's certain things that change. And one of the things that change is that wisdom and a clear conscience become powerful tools because we're before God. Matthew said, said it this way. In fact, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 through 18. Uh, a powerful word that I think must have been shaping Paul's thinking uh, as, as he's in this very moment. Jesus prophesied that this would happen to his believers. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, he says this, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So this is being fulfilled in Paul's uh, life at this moment. And so undoubtedly, as Paul was a man of Jesus' words, this would have been filling his mind that I am to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And so there is this mixture. Uh, the harmless of a dove is to have a clear conscience before God and before man, but yet to be wise. Don't put yourself in foolish positions uh, when especially knowing that you are going to be under scrutiny. Listen, if you believe that Jesus Christ is God in flesh, if you believe the things that he said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, if you believe that Jesus called sin, sin, and that there is a judgment day, you will be a person not well received in any culture. And as such, there will be people who are looking, longing, delighting in the failure of those who claim such things. You understand that? If in our church we mess up, that mess up gets spread much faster than the news of what we're about. All right? Because there is an audience in Nightdale and, and, and Raleigh that's just looking for the people to mess up, and they will take delight in broadcasting the mess ups. That happens, doesn't it? You know what happens. We are under scrutiny, 
So we must, therefore, be wise and harmless, to have a clear conscience before God and yet be wise. And so notice how Paul is saying that at this moment, as he's before court, he says, you know, I've lived in a clear conscience before God. It's interesting when you're in a court case or you're in uh, matters where things are brought up, things are just so matter of fact. And what seems so um, maybe clouded because of your emotional view, when brought before a court case, it's like, oh, okay, this is where you break the law here, here, and here. Like, oh, wow, didn't realize it was that bad. Uh, And so here's the thing. When we live life before God, the court and the legal system is just a poor shadow of what God is. And so, if, if we would conduct ourselves in a certain manner, if we knew that a judge was going to be with us, or, you know, when you're driving down the road, or I was talking with some of our members here I, just recently, of when you realize there's a policeman right there, you know, how, how does that change everything about your driving at that moment in time? Um, because there is a, a policeman, there is an enforcer, there is someone who knows the law and knows when you're breaking it. He has some way of knowing how fast you're going. Uh, and, and instantly everything changes. The phone gets put away. Uh, you know, the, the, the foot is off the gas. I mean, you're upright, your seatbelt's on, you're looking carefully. You know, so how things changes when there is the human authority around us. How much more when we live before God. And one of the things I pray for is that we have an understanding that we don't just live our life in the here and now. There is a God who sees, who watches. And and Paul, when things came to bear, he says, you know, I've always been aware that God is here. And so consequently, I've lived my life harmlessly. In other words, I have a clear conscience before God and before men. But notice the wisdom Jesus said, be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. And so we see in Acts 23 how Paul is before this council uh, in Felix and these Jewish leaders. And and he says, uh, verse 6, notice this, chapter 23, verse 6. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried on the council, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees, is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. He used wisdom in realizing there's two parties here. They weren't totally in agreement. The Sadducees were the people who says, you know what? God can't work in the supernatural anymore. This stuff like resurrection and miracles and things like that, eternal life, you know, that just doesn't sit well with the culture elite today. And so they stripped those things. The Pharisees, what are you talking about? We're people of the Bible or people of the Word of God. Yes, these things happen. And so there would, Paul was aware of that. And brought that up and dissension. You know what that was? That was just being wise. Being wise. In that moment of time, just trusting God to give you the wisdom to help you with this. Now we keep on reading. We live before God, therefore wisdom and conscience are powerful tools because we're before God. But as we see verse 11, in this encounter, he has this moment. This is the day after he's gotten beat, hurt. He's been before the Jewish rulers, and he realizes, man, they're trying to kill me. And so now he's been taken back into the barracks. And we have this moment. We looked at this last week as as we saw that God will give us encouragement in times of need. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And how that was such an encouraging thing for Paul. But one of the things I want you to take notes 
here is this phrase, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. You know what's being done here? God is letting Paul know, I am aware of how you've been faithful to me in Jerusalem. You were faithful in sharing the gospel. He, even before a mob, once the Roman uh, leader was there, military leader, he said, wait, can I say something here? And he started testifying to Jesus Christ, even with the blood trickling down his face from being beat, he still testified to that in, in opposition. And God says, I was aware of that. I saw that. And just as you did last night, just as you've testified, I'm going to open up more doors for you. So we live before God. Therefore, faithfulness uh, produces opportunity. Why is that the case? I mean, I mean, think about that. What is your way? What would be the best way to have a, an audience with Caesar? Would it be to get arrested? <laughs> you know, would it be to get sent into a barracks uh, where you're going to be under lock and key? You see, the, the thing is, is that it doesn't really matter what humans say as what is the sphere of influence, what is the greatest opportunity. We live before a God who is aware of our attitude and our faithfulness, and God sees that and will open up the door accordingly to how we deal with what is given to us. Life is a test. You know that, right? It's not... Life isn't a roller coaster. But there's nowhere in the Bible it says that, all right? <laughs> roller coasters weren't invented back then, all right? Uh, life isn't a camel ride. Uh, life uh, isn't a competition. That's how a lot of us think, especially as guys. Life is a competition. But when the Bible describes life, it, it uses two things it says it is a test and it is a trust, something entrusted to us. A test. What is God testing for? He's looking to see if we will trust him. So will Paul trust him when he's beaten in Jerusalem and under lock and key? He does. And God says, you've been faithful here. Just as you have testified to these facts about me in Jerusalem, so you will take this to Rome. And so notice the progression that happens. We got chapter 23. Uh, Paul is sent to Felix, the governor, uh, verses 23 through 35. And uh, then in chapter 24, Paul is before Felix. All right, now Felix is married to a girl named Drusilla. Uh, you see that in verse 24 of chapter 24. He mar- he's married to a wife named Drusilla who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. All right, so what's Felix's job, right? His Felix's job is to say, I, I'm, uh, I, I can say whether you get free or not. So Drusilla has a sister named Bernice and a brother named Herod, all right? Her daddy's name was Herod also. Herod was the one that was Jesus brought to, and it was in Herod's court where such mockery of jesus took place the crown of thorns was placed on his head the purple robes put on him that was herod's doing and then after jesus died it was herod who killed james and put in prison peter but god was greater than herod in that moment and was set free and it was herod who thought so much of himself he says i am as a god and died of worms right there um so that's daddy and so the son is herod Bernice, 
Drusilla. Felix is married into that family with Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are in front of someone who has the power of liberty, of even life and death, how should you approach this one? Certainly with respect, right? Um, But notice what he does. He speaks to them about Jesus Christ, about faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, and as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. In other words, okay, Paul, that's enough. You're talking to me about judgment of sin? It's not necessarily uh, in Carnegie's book about how to win friends and gain influence. All right? But here, that's what Paul's doing. He's being faithful with the circumstances, God is giving him greater opportunity. Now, Felix basically says, you know what? Two years elapsed, verse 27. He was succeeded by a name by Festus. It gets better, doesn't it, Felix? thought that was bad. Here comes Festus. Um, <laughs> ruler Festus comes to the court. Um, and it gets even more interesting as, as uh, Festus is there. And God gives more opportunity to share the gospel, not talk about liberty, not talk about his freedom, not talk about the injustice done to him, but to say, let me share with you about faith in Jesus Christ. And so, uh, you know, Festus doesn't really know what to do with him. He says, well, okay, he makes an appeal before Caesar. Uh, I wanted to send him back to Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, I make an appeal to Caesar. Let me go to Caesar. And so he's trying to write this out. He's writing a letter out to Caesar. At what charge should I get? And then here comes some family members into uh, the court. Agrippa, the king, and Bernice. All right, see this in chapter uh, 25, uh, verse uh, verse 13. Agrippa, this is Herod, all right, Agrippa. And Bernice, you remember, uh, they're here together. You said, well, now wait a second. Didn't you say that uh, Herod and Bernice were brother and sister with Drusilla? Yes, that is what I said. Um, and so, but nonetheless, it doesn't seem to stop Herod, Agrippa, and Bernice from being a couple. All right? So you get an idea of what uh, life was like uh, for the royalty here. And so here they are, and, and now they say, you know what, here's this guy, let's, let's hear him. And, and Herod Agrippa's like, yeah, I've been wanting to hear him. And so, uh, interesting enough, the Bible says that they come to Jerusalem, or they come, and they, uh, in chapter 26, uh, has this entrance with pomp and circumstance, all right? So, in other words, this is King Agrippa, he says, I'm going to come with all the, the respect due me, all right? So this is kind of like inside edition, uh, and they're interviewing uh, King Agrippa on the red carpet. You got extra all the other uh, social news gossip type magazine. This is the type of scene where Herod's coming in and Bernice and like, oh, this is the cream of the co- crop. This is the best of the best. Uh, but notice how Paul is living before them. And as we see this example, we see it in chapter 25. Now we're going to see it in chapter 26. Paul shares his story. Verse 12, chapter 26, verse 12, is the gospel story. This is now repeated, I think, for the third time in the book of Acts. Paul saying, let me tell you about how I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. What does this tell us? We live before God, 
Therefore, every circumstance is an opportunity to honor Christ. We live before God. Therefore, every circumstance is an opportunity to honor Christ. Not only to be faithful, not only to show wisdom and and conscience and have clear conscience, but to have an opportunity to honor Christ in every circumstance you find yourself in. Paul does exactly that in chapter 26. He says, let me tell you a story, Uh, Herod, uh, Bernice, and he shares powerfully his story. But notice the reaction. Festus is saying, you know, Paul, verse 24, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're nuts. You're a wacko. Use whatever words you want to use. It means the same thing. You're out of your mind. Verse 25, Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking truth and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul shares a little bit of his framework here in another book. So he spends about two years in Caesarea, then he goes to Rome and spends time in prison. All the while, he starts writing some letters. That becomes part of our New Testament, these letters that he writes. One of them is the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I wanted to go there for a second so you can get a little bit of his thinking. What, what causes Paul to do what he just did? He had an opportunity to make an appeal for his life, and instead he shares the gospel And he says to them, I would that you be like me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's happened to him? He's in prison. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident, Lord, by my imprisonment, as much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is is proclaimed and in that i rejoice yes and i will rejoice you see what he says every circumstance is an opportunity for me to honor christ when you're in scrutiny when there is the hot seat that is in front of you when your earth has been removed be it medical employment family or otherwise marital It is an opportunity to honor Christ. The gospel impacts everything. You could say, well, what if I'm, you know, pastor, I don't have a clear conscience. I'm in trouble because I really did mess up. How can I honor Christ there when I've become a disgrace? Thing is about the gospel, 
is that the greatest, the greatest punishment has been taken for our sin through Jesus Christ. It's, it's been described as, as the punishment being a Mack truck that Jesus takes and faces the full force of the Mack truck, and now we get the shadow that crosses over us. So what if you have stupid tax? You want to be stupid? You did something stupid, so now you're paying the tax for it. All right? It happens a lot to us, financially and otherwise. What if that is the case where you're paying stupid tax in life because you're being, well, dumb? How am I honoring Christ? Listen, here's how you do that is to understand I'm about to pass through a shadow. Consequences are coming my way, but it's just the shadow. And the reality is that Christ has taken the full punishment. So you know what? Whatever punishment may come is not nearly as bad as what it could have been. And I can walk through this with the grace of God in my life and to endure whatever consequences that come. What if it's being misaligned and misrepresented? It's this fact is that God is your judge, not the human court around you. And so you can have full confidence to say, you know what, this hurts, but God is greater still. And he knows the truth that I've been forgiven by God, I'm loved by God, and so let me walk with confidence and peace and kindness in these days. Sometimes... To honor Christ is to walk with humility that is uncommon in this world. And that glorifies Christ. And you can do so because you know that no matter how humble you are and what a sinner you are, you are loved and embraced by God himself and it frees you up. To say that you honor Christ is to say that I'm not intimidated by the pomp and circumstances of the royalty of society. This was the case where Paul was there and all the pomp and circumstance of the kings were there and he did not cower back. He did not uh, walk away and, and was somewhat timid in his faith, but to say boldly, confidently, you know, you got all the trappings here, but let me tell you about real living that comes through the love of Jesus Christ in every circumstance. If it's to say that a doctor is calling you and saying, you know what, you've just got two to three months unless a miracle happens, is to say, you know what, I serve a God that gives miracles. I serve a God that gives miracles, but even if there is no miracle done, let it be known that I love God more than life itself. And he gives me joy, gives me peace, gives me a understanding and confidence that when my heart stops beating, my life does not. It just gets better. In every circumstance, it is an opportunity to honor Christ. Whether you're like Paul before a court case, or you're living your life in the, in the humdrum of the day, there is opportunity in the humdrum of the day to say life isn't just walking through the motions, but in any day, any time, there's an opportunity to make an eternal difference. And I experienced that as I prayed this morning, as I pray throughout. Every circumstance is an opportunity to honor Christ. And it is, in fact, of God's design for you to do Exactly that. This past week, I had to do a little research, emergency research for the um, veterans dinner. Our guest speaker uh, had an emergency, could not be there, found out that day. And so I was doing some uh, reading and looking and 
uh, came across uh, the, the example of a man uh, by the name of Jeff Strecker. Uh, we shared that video, those of you who are there, uh, a, a short nine-minute video of that. I listened to the, the full 33-minute. He went to Southeastern Seminary up here, uh, just graduated a year or so ago. Jeff Strecker, he was the uh, staff sergeant at the time in 1993 in Somalia, Mogadishu, uh, of which the movie Black Hot Down uh, is based about, the book was based about. Uh, he was one of the men that had to go in to rescue a, a ranger that fell from the helis- helicopter uh, and uh, was injured. And so it was his job to, uh, to, to get him. And as he rescued him and came around a corner, he was uh, just attacked with a, a murderous volley of fire, of which he said he's never experienced, even since then in Persian Gulf and other things, uh, of which he did not know how, but they somehow got back, even though the machine gunners uh, on his team was shot and killed instantly. As he uh, got there, he was listening to things spiral out of control on the radio and hearing how things were going in a terrible way, and uh, he takes his helmet and flows, uh, throws it across the, uh, the tarmac there and just angry of what he just endured. And is at that moment uh, where the, uh, his leader comes up to him and says, uh, Sergeant, things are going bad. Um, there is a helicopter is going down. We need you to go back into Mogadishu and try to find any survivors and bring them back. Life got even more real than it was before for him. Under recommendation, he started cleaning his Humvee of the gore and blood. And he was washing it down, washing the blood off, and he's thinking, God, I'm going to die. What am I going to do? Under the ranger creed of not leaving a man behind, he realized he had to go back. He became a believer when he was 13. And in that moment, when the earth was moved out from underneath him, he asked himself, what do I really believe? What do I really believe? And essentially, he just surrendered his future. He said, there's a real chance that I'm going to die when I go back. I don't know how I'll survive leaving it. And if I die, I surrender it to you, God. He said, at that moment, he said, there is a peace that entered his heart and mind. And listen, it is a peace that is available to every believer. Every believer can know this peace. Of realizing, you know, if someone shoots me before I fall to the ground, I will be with God in heaven. If I'm not shot, I will make it home to be with my wife. Either way, I'm good. And it is in that moment that things changed. And he said from that point on, life and death didn't quite mean the same as it did before. And he went and he did his work, he did his job, You can see the movie if you care to. It's pretty violent. Uh, And what he went through. After that, he said, you know, what really made the difference was after that. When he got messages from battle-hardened, rugged, special forces men and others. 
And he said, you know, I heard you on the radio. I saw what you're doing. You have something I don't have. Tell me about it. It is in that moment that God redirected his life and work. Became a chaplain, now a pastor down in Georgia. I want to just share with you, there will be a day and time when your earth will move. The foundations will be shaken. And the thing that matters most in that moment is what do you believe? Before that time comes, I challenge you, put it deep in your heart and mind. God is there. And let me live before him. Because if God is there, my conscience is to be clean before him. If God is there, then faithfulness matters. If God is there, then every circumstance is to be an opportunity to honor him. And if God is there, there is nothing so devastating, so powerful, that it can take that truth away from me. Romans says, there is no power, no principality, no spiritual power whatsoever that can separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that? It comes only through surrender. You only know it through surrender. I can tell you John 3.16 all day long. I can tell you, and you can read on every banner, God loves you, but you cannot know it until you surrender and trust that love. Do you know it? Let's pray.